Welcome to the No Referees Podcast, where we have unpenalized conversations with sports personalities on industry news, their grind, the game, and much more. Please check us out on our social media pages at No Referees Pod for up-to-date info on the show. No rules, no texts, no whistles. This is No Referees Podcast. Welcome back to the No Referees Podcast. I'm your host, Everest Akajobi, bringing you another semi-quarantine edition of our show. As always, you can find us on our social media pages at No Referees Pod and on our new YouTube channel, No Referees Podcast. We have a very, very, very special guest. I'm super excited about this one. We have our, the founder of the Fascia Institute, Fascia Training Institute, she is an internationally recognized holistic healer. That means, hey, she can put them hands on you. You're going to get better in 2.2 seconds. <laughs> She's an author of the, brain, the book, How the Brain Burps and Gaining Control Over Pain. You can find her everywhere on her social media pages at Simone Fortier. She is the go-to authority in the field of fascia therapy. Miss Simone Fortier, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you. What's going on with you in these uh, COVID times? You know, I know that you're originally from Canada. You spent time in L.A. Where have you been during these COVID times? On March 16th, actually, I was going to um, head down to Palm Desert, California, um, which is something that I, I do normally. And I actually had my seat chosen and everything. But um, I actually reached out to a few friends because, you know, the COVID thing was starting going on. And my normal personality is just to go anyway. Um, so I reached out to actually Preston Green of the Florida Gators, who's kind of like more even keel than I am. And he's like, don't go. He goes, we don't know what's going to happen with this whole thing. So I, I actually didn't go and I stayed and I took that time to actually take programs online. I took, um, I, I taught a class live because I was actually supposed to teach a class and we, we, the, the students were like, we're going crazy with this COVID and, you know, being isolated. So um, we met twice a week and I recorded that and that's now a, pro a product that's actually online. And um, yeah, so I took it as an opportunity to change my business because I had been so busy traveling, teaching, working one-on-one -on -one with people. It was like 12 hours a day. And I've been working on this project to go online for like four years. So when challenges present, which is a huge challenge, um, I just took it as an opportunity to change really my practice. But um, I also reached out to all my students and I'm like, do you think we could teach the actual hands-on portion online. And they're all like, absolutely not. Because it's so detailed dealing with the brain Right. And um, the palpation of fascia and the lymphatic system is so subtle that um, by watching it, you just can't get it. So right. in COVID, when they're saying you can't travel, um, I'm like, yeah, you can travel. So <laughs> for many reasons, um, work, education, and or for family reasons or medical reasons. So um I did end up going to Chicago in June, and uh, then I went to Arizona as well, and then back to Canada. So right now I'm actually in BC, taking a few days off to create more content. Hey, you've been you've been so, racking up the you've, you've been racking up the frequent flyer miles during COVID. 
I, I know. <laughs> I, I did it all the right way. I got um, tested for COVID. And um, so I did two things because I feel I was exposed to COVID in November. Mm. And um, I wanted to prove my theory. So I went through a private clinic. I sent my blood work to Germany, who they are the only test do, doing this type of test currently and um, the only one that's really validated. So I uh, sent my blood work to Germany and yes, I did have the antibodies to COVID. So I was like, hmm. I was exposed and uh, my symptoms were, um, I felt like somebody was standing on my chest mm. for like four days. I went to the doctor and she said, well, I don't know what's going on. We'll do some blood work, but then it passed. Right. So I didn't end up doing the blood work but that was my experience with COVID. And I'm currently trying to get tested as often as possible. And I keep getting tested negative for active COVID. So, and after all those travels, as soon as I landed, I would get tested. So I would, I would make sure I wouldn't uh, infect other people. But from my hypothesis, I did have it in November and I was working with seniors and all sorts of people. So, what they found out, and it's not really being publicized, it's not one person has um, contact, contracted COVID during um, non-symptomatic period, which is really good because that frightened a lot of people. Like, oh, you might be infected. I don't know. And they run away from you. And, and unfortunately, I have a story about that. So one of the ladies that I work with, I work with children from really birth to people who are 100. So I had one lady who shared this story with me. She called me and she's like, yeah, this COVID thing's really scary, which it is. Um, so she's like, yeah, I, I broke my arm. And I'm like, really? And she goes, she ran away from somebody trying to social distance and she broke her elbow. Wow. So I was like, mm, that's more, that's really at an older age, that's not optimal because that would take her a long time. But really knowing and understanding more about the virus um, and our immune systems, it's kind of like our immune system deals with this. And for 99% of people. So it goes into your nutrition, what you eat, what you don't eat, all that sort of thing. And that's really what are, what's helping people move through COVID with a minimal amount of symptoms. And as soon as I, well, how I found, well, I thought the guy, that I thought had Ebola when I saw him. This is when I thought I was infected for sure. He was, um, he was in a rental car agent and I was renting a car and I was like, oh my gosh, this guy has Ebola in my head. So I went up to him and I'm like, dude, what's wrong with you? Because that's really how I talk. And he's like, you know, I was just in San Francisco and I was visiting my parents and I'm so sick. But he goes, I can't afford not to work. So I'm like, I had wet ones and all that stuff. I didn't touch anything that he had touched, but he was sweating and he was coughing. So um, that's where I think I got, I got it. And wow. Wow. I saw him a month later and he was totally healthy. Wow. I think um, for an entire month. I, I think uh, the same thing probably happened to my son. My son's seven years old. He was in the hospital in November with the, during Thanksgiving with the uh, quote unquote rare case of pneumonia and the doctors didn't know what it was. They, uh, they kept figuring out, they kept saying, well, it could have been a necrotic pneumonia. 
um, but they didn't couldn't figure out what it was. So we really feel like, you know, at November, like you said, that like it could have been COVID because they had all the symptoms. They just couldn't figure it out. But, you know, thankfully it's healthy now and all, all is well. Thankfully you're healthy now too. So I, I want to get into a couple of things before we get into fascia therapy, before we get into concussions and all that good stuff. Um, on a No Referees podcast, there's no rules, no text, no whistles. And we ask all of our guests that come on to have a sports story, what was your very, very first interaction or, or remembrance of getting into it with a referee? Uh, I know you have a really cool story with that. So why don't you share your, your first interaction with a referee? Well, might not have been my first, but it was very memorable. So um, I did play basketball. And um, when I was 11, I was as tall as I am now. I didn't grow after that. I really wanted to be six feet, but I'm not. So I'm like, I'm 5'8". So at 11, that's pretty good. And there was another girl on the team who was six foot two at 11. So I wasn't the tallest, but um, we had a really great team because we had an advantage. So, and that continued on for years. And I went from being a center to a guard to being really short. So, but I can jump. Anyways, so um, I pretty much got fouled out of every game I was in. And um, I was very, you know, competitive and aggressive. And I'm really not that way when I'm off the same that we were playing and this one girl on the other team she was bullying all up players on our team and not me though but all these other players and she was really bullying them and the ref wasn't calling it and so this kept going on and I waited long enough I thought long enough so um he didn't call it she just almost pushed one of the other players down and I went up and I punched her in the stomach <laughs> the ref um, ejected me and said quite a few words about that to my coach and to myself and that to control me and apparently my nickname from then on was the animal but um, that was kind of my, my biggest experience <laughs> but as an aside she never did that again <laughs> the animal so we're growing after that interaction did you carry that nickname with you moving forward like to high school college or anything of that nature Yes, because actually I changed schools, and um, when I got there, all the all the like the other girls in the class that were on the team were like, "Oh my gosh, we're so happy to have you here! You're the animal, and we were so afraid of you." And I'm like, "Oh, I had no idea." <laughs> that is hilarious. But I found peace since then. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, every look silver lining. You know, you you end up being an animal, and now it's, it, you switch a whole different lifestyle. You know, holistic healing and things of that nature. So that that's actually pretty cool. Cool story. Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> yeah, you, you know, you gotta have passion, right? <laughs> yeah. So let's take it right there with with sports and and athletics. You know, you work with a lot of world-renowned athletes, from Major League Baseball to NFL to Olympians, things of that nature. I, I got your full list of athletes that and teams that you work with. So I picked out a few um, a few people to talk about. But before we get into individual people, tell me how you ended up starting working with athletes at uh, such elite level. Well, um, I guess I've just always been blessed um, to meet really great people and be, be in like opportune positions. But um, in Calgary, um, I had the opportunity to work with the um, Canadian bobsleigh team. And um, 
From that, it led to meeting a strength coach who also worked with the Canadian bobsleigh team, whose name was Charles Poliquin, who is really quite famous. And he has, you know, he did pass away um, just recently, but um, he was exceptional in what he did. And he has a huge following and he still has a huge following, but um, he was introduced to me and we had often conflicting points of view on things um, just because of our perspective but he respected that and I respected his opinion and um, he was he worked with Dr. Leahy who did ART he worked in Colorado Springs with um, a whole bunch of Olympians on both sides of the border and he was developing a um, institute in Arizona so he invited me down to work with him in 99 to um, really be the therapist to all his athletes. And um, yeah, so that's how I really got started. But what happened is I went down and the center really wasn't ready yet. So I asked Charles, I'm like, is there anyone in Arizona that um, you know I could hook up with? And um, he introduced me to a few people and within two weeks I was working with a lot of the Cardinals, the Coyotes, um, again, baseball players, because that's an epicenter of um, really athletes. But my work really um, kind of, you know, spoke for itself. And these guys had already seen the best of the best in the world. So I was like, why would I do the same thing? Because these people are really the best. So it made me look at the symptom isn't really the cause. So it made me do a deep dive into fascia and looking at the whole entire system. And that was getting results with these guys. And um, the fascia work does create permanent change. And when you're treating the symptom, it may or may not. And I did have a conversation back in, I think, 98 or 97 with Dr. Leahy because Charles introduced me to him. And Dr. Leahy said to me, which was a great compliment, he goes, what you do actually does create permanent change. He goes, with the ART, it may or may not, because they're just really working with the tendons and the muscles. And if that's the cause, then the ART will work. But if it's not the cause, it will only create short-term change. Right. So, yeah, I was just, and also too, at that time, I was teaching myofascial at a university. So I was teaching the myofascial work, and then there's the fascia work. And what I teach now in my fascia training is really five different approaches to releasing fascia. And I call it spacing, not really releasing. So it's kind of a different technique because fascia fibers get laid down. And really what we're doing is reducing or removing those fibers. So we're not really stretching it. We're actually breaking down fibers that shouldn't be there, which create restriction and range of motion. So it's kind of like a different way. And I'm, I'm getting that out there of changing the vocabulary. It's creating space inside the body. And it's kind of hard to think about that. There's more space inside your body than there is stuff. So the fascia holds everything in suspension, every atom, every cell, and it's all floating. And there's just space. It's kind of like art. Right. So in my research of fascia, and we'll get to the athletes you work with in a second, because we're already on fascia. Let's just stay right there, because fascia, I know, is, is you know, connects everything in your body. 
without fascia, we wouldn't be able to have physical structure of our body, uh, a digestive system. It goes on and on and on about fascia and how it, how it uh, correlates with us in our everyday life. Most people may not know about it, but they're going to learn about a little, little about it today. So I just want you to kind of just take a little deep dive in and tell people what is actually fascia, when you hear the word, and then how it works with our body. Okay, so fascia itself is made of collagen, fibers, elastin, and some uh, extracellular matrix. There's, there's a whole bunch of things that um, people may or may not know, but that's the science really behind it. But when the A and sperm come together, fascia is formed. So your shape right now is because of fascia. And my shape is because of fascia, so it gives us really structure. It holds everything in place. Well, I gotta, I gotta thank fascia for making me look so good, dude. You That's know? right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, and uh, yeah, and your genetics. So um, yes, so really, fascia um, protects the body. It connects everything, and it communicates. So it communicates faster to the brain than the nervous system. So the nervous system goes through synapses, whereas the fascia actually attaches to the brain. So it's one system that when you really create a thought changes fascia, when you touch your skin, you touch fascia. So really any treatment um, indirectly affects fascia. So there's indirect and direct work. So um, I can go more into the science, if you'd like, or more of the function. Yeah, let's talk, let, let's talk about some of the ways that you hear about fashion and how it helps with athletes. Now, my first, um, I think my first interaction with the word fascia was myofascial release, you know, foam rolling, you know, things of that nature. You know, uh, you always hear about that. So as far as sports is concerned, talk about how fascia therapy works with uh, some of the athletes that you've seen and uh, how it helps them, you know, be able to compete at a high level. So we'll do that. We'll come back to that. So we're going to talk about myofascial release. So myo means muscle and fascia is fascia. So fascia actually um, surrounds muscle um, externally, but it also holds it in suspension. So the ability of a muscle to contract depends on really the space in the fascia. So if the fascia is compressed over a muscle, the ability to contract and relax is reduced. So that reduces power. So that's how it can affect athletes and it can affect how far you jump, how far you throw your power speed. Because right. if your fascia again, which um, changes to what you do the most. So if you're sitting all day like students are and people who are at the computer or on your iPhone. And like right now I have my computer up because I want to be looking like my eyes level into the screen. Looking down is really not great. One for your fascia because we're doing that all day long. We're looking down, which now I'm seeing eight and 10 year olds with dower humps that really usually don't occur until people are 60. Wow. So thickening of fascia here is occurring to support your spine which then again affects circulation to the brain affects your posture and then eventually people are like this mm. heads forward and when your head's forward like that your power is reduced 
So that does affect also to athletes because if in golf my head's forward and I go and swing, you see how there's like less space? Right. No space, no power. So it's physics. And it's also with throwing. If my head's here already and I'm doing this, there's just, it takes more effort. So um, when I was working with the quarterback for Chicago, I was like, okay, dude, you can't look down. And this was his reasoning, which was kind of interesting, goes, well, you know, I'm looking down because it's less rude. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, no, it's not. It's the illusion of being less rude. But I'm like, the phone has to be here. And that doesn't look cool. Yeah. Um, I was in an area that, you know, there was a lot of people from Asia, which was really cool, and I was watching them. And all of them, they had their phone up here. And I'm like, wow, that's super smart. Because when you're looking down all the time, what happens with your brain, you're actually dumping GABA, which is a brain thing, but that also increases anxiety, which was huge during um, the biggest part of COVID. Because right. everyone's looking at their stuff, they're looking down, and then there's so much anxiety. but Everything matters is what you're, what I'm kind of like showing here is that what you do the most changes your fascia, changes performance, changes flexibility. So um, going back to another thing that you said is the foam roller. So a lot of people are saying that you need to foam roll and that will help your mild fascial release and, and fascial release, but actually um, rolling does not affect fascia, but it does is affect circulation. So circulation actually makes it release, but again, it's specifically in one spot, so it's not changing a systemic fascia. It's, it's really a pressure point or a trigger point that you're working on if you're rolling really hard. So that increases circulation, which increases endorphins, and you feel better, but it's momentary. So if people want to use um, a foam roller, what I say, take the rolling out of it if you want to address the fascia. And then you hold, move the foam roller, hold, move the foam roller, and hold. So the uh, rolling back and forth, your whole leg, you know, rolling back and forth, your back, rolling back and forth, your thigh, that's just a waste of time, basically? No, no, everything's for a reason. So knowing the reason, the reason is one, it increases circulation. And if you're rolling up and down your spine, you'll get a few pops probably, which is good. That's, um, that's releasing, you know, pressure built up between the joints. So that's all good, but it's not really releasing fascia directly. Mm -hmm. Right. I know when I, I have one of those uh, vibrating foam rollers and I put it on my back and I really, like you said, every time I roll my back, I'll be popping like a mud. Right. And so here's the thing, too. So the vibration actually affects your lymphatics. So the faster your lymphatic move, the healthier your body is and the lighter you actually will feel. So if the fascia is restricted, the lymph can't move. So when you're doing that little vibration, which when you do vibration, optimal time is like two minutes for the lymphatics. After you do that, actually um, starts to increased tension in the muscle and the fascia. So I'm all about micro, <laughs> like every detail matters, right? And so when you have an athlete that really 1% or even 0.5% makes a difference whether they are number one or number 10. Right. 
And that also affects their pay scale if they're number one or number 10. Right. So working with these guys, it's like, okay. And going back to the quarterback for, for Chicago, Mitch, I'm like, okay, we're looking at, he's got great trainers and he did extremely well at camp this year, apparently, because they did a great job. Mm-hmm. But I looked at him like, well, optimally, every athlete should be symmetrical. Mm-hmm. So the muscle development on both sides should be the same. And the fascia should be the same because if it's not, then you get lines of tension which over time, every year, slows you down. So that's where you see it. It's like, why am I not as fast? Why don't I have the power? And it's because those lines of tension get bigger. And then you lose that power. You lose that strength. And and so I'm like, I just made a suggestion to him, throw both ways. And it was interesting. This is how the... So you mean like throw with your left hand, throw with your right hand? Absolutely. So when you so when you so when you meet so when you're working with a guy like a like you said like a Mitchell Trubisky who has been a quarterback his whole life and he's been thrown on one side and he, he introduced to you and you come along and say, Hey, Mitch, I need you to throw your right hand and your left hand. What kind of look what kind of look did he give you? Um, like I was crazy. <laughs> and he's like, oh but you know, that guy is really smart. So he, he, tr- he was trying to do it, even just the m- movement in the gym, and he couldn't. And I'm like, isn't that interesting that your brain now has laid down so many pathways that it's almost impossible to do the other way? And so for optimal brain health, um, you have to be able to access both sides. And so he came back the next day, and guess who accomplished that extremely well? He did. So again, the younger you do it, the, and plus his brain is performance enhanced. Like he's so hyper-focused and he was like almost equally as good in a couple days. Wow. That's, that was what do. And I said to him, the reason for doing that is that will increase his power and how far he can throw it. Wow. That's pretty really? interesting. Yeah. So that's how I see things. I see it from a different perspective, but if we're in, if we're symmetrical, then our power does increase. And again, those lines of tension, the fascia aren't there, but if you're always doing this, then eventually you're, you're, I'm over-exaggerating, but you're going to be here. So then again, you try and throw, you're already there, even if it's a micromillimeter. Right. And you're losing that power. And going back into everything matters. So when I worked, you know, with some of the Cardinals back in the day, and I was talking to them about nutrition and how important that was and less drinking, less, um, if I can say it, marijuana. Um, well, yeah, you know, you tell these guys, these guys young, got a lot of money, they're in Phoenix, you know, they want to go out and party, they want to drink, they want the, the nightlife, you know, then you're going to come in and say, you know, who this woman talking about, we can't do these little things. We the, we the, we the cream de la creme. We know? need to relax, right? And actually, <laughs> that's true. The thought is, like, I am the fastest. I am already this. And so I'm like, okay, fair enough. Because, you know, what? I just give the information, what people do with it, it's up to them. Right. Well, so, year goes by. Um, what was that you were saying about nutrition? <laughs> the younger guys now are faster. Right. Again, that one second or that point zero five of a second um, makes a difference. And so it's interesting, but that's the natural transition. So the people who make that decision faster 
actually have longer careers because just like Mitch, it's like, okay, wow, I have to do that. And he did it. And he's seeing instant improvements from just making that one small change and going into um, the, the one athlete that I was supposed to work on had a lot of concussions, whereas Mitch didn't, he didn't have concussions. So tested his brain. And so that's why also too, the concussion treatment protocol is also for prevention and enhancement. Right. It doesn't have to be for concussion, but um, for him, what it did, it slowed, well, it, no, it actually increased his thought process. So his decisions took less time, which right. you're on the field, the faster you can make that decision, the faster everything is and the better it is. So that again happened with just even being a demo one day. The Simple Pour is a beverage concierge service specializing in creating flavorful crafted punches for all of your events and needs. From their house favorites to the custom creations, they have a beverage that's going to satisfy every taste bud you have. Certified mixologist Kevin Barber literally pours his heart into each beverage. You have the individual 12-ounce bottles, or if you want to step it up to the big boy gallon. Some of the heavy hitters on the menu include To Kill Your Blues with that fresh citrus, Fan Favorite Green Goblin, and my favorite, Henny Punch. No Referees Podcast and a simple pour have mixed up a new drink for you. Enjoy 15% off your entire purchase by logging on to the website, thesimplepourhtx.com. Enter promo code NOREFEREES15 at the time of checkout. The Simple Pour. Simple name, extraordinary taste. And also, a thing that fascia does that most people may not know, especially like strength and conditioning coaches, fascia therapy aids in the speed and development of our athletes too as well. So can you talk a little bit about that for me? Yeah, so again, there's, so there's different types of fascia work. So you can do um, the exercises for retraining fascia. You can do fascia treatment, and you can do fascia stretching. Mm. So fascia stretching um, really helps with flexibility for those who are tight. So that's really stretching on traction. And for people who are hypermobile, that might not be the optimal treatment, but people who are tight, that again will release that tension. They'll have more flexibility. So then for some people, that flexibility is necessary for power. But for people who are already flexible, they don't need more flexibility for power. They need more strength development. And then there's fascia treatment, which is the hands-on manual work, which, again, is creating space inside the body and the brain. And then the fascia exercises. So there are different levels of fascia exercises because now everyone's saying they're doing fascia therapy, they're doing fascia exercises, and every movement's a fascia exercise. And I'm like, well... They all, they all stole that from you. <laughs> and I was like, indirectly, absolutely. So everything you do matters. Everything you do affects the fascia. But it's like, how do you want to do that? So with fascial movement, so I call my stuff movements because it's re-education. And re-education is a slower tempo. So I was working with this um, 
UFC guy in Ireland, and um, he had just had a, they showed me a video of his fight. He was slammed to the ground and he hit his shoulder and his head and they're like, oh, he has a concussion. Can you, like, cause I was just over there and they're like, can you come take a look at him? I'm like, sure. So I go and I'm like, oh my gosh, this guy's the 80% that really don't have lingering um, concussion symptoms. And I can just palpate that. I'm like, okay, this guy's great. He has more of a shoulder and neck injury than concussion even though it looked brutal. And um, so what I did with him is really do some brain balancing exercises. And he was doing some like movements with his strength coach. And I'm like, you got to slow it down. And he's like, I can't. He goes, because you know what the UFC, you have to be really fight. I go, no, when you're training, while you're recovering from this, because you actually hurt your shoulder, you have to slow down and do the movements with intention. And he goes, but it hurts then. So he was using momentum to move through the injury, which again, long-term's not great for his career, but I might just slow it down and that will engage the fashion, help re-educate. And so, so he- You was over in Ireland, we know, only Ireland guy I know from USC is a guy named, last name McGregor, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and yeah, those guys are, the Irish guys are um, really cool. They're really cool. <laughs> so, <laughs> and they're really funny. <laughs> but um, so that type of movement is different. So then um, there's other people doing like just strength and conditioning, fascial, exercises. So they're doing more opening up, more mobility exercises. And again, the tempo is important. So it's kind of like micromanaging what, what's your goal? What's your goal with this? So then there's different ways at looking at doing that fascially, as well as involving the muscle. So do you want strength? Do you want power? Do you want flexibility? They're all different types of training. And um, so with fascia work, again, it's, it's going, okay, is this really affecting my fascia? Only if you do it consistently and frequently. Because again, fascia changes and forms to what you do the most. So if you go and do those exercises and then you go sit for six hours, it's not really changing your fascia. Right. The sitting for six hours is changing your fascia. Right. So that's when you look at people like athletes that train, it's a full-time job. People don't realize that it's a job. And it's an all-day thing. So two practices a day, and then sometimes just one. But then they have treatment, they have recovery, they have nutrition, they have naps. So it's like it's a really a full day, and also which includes sitting, watching film, or in meetings and that sort of thing. But they don't do that very often. Those guys are always moving. So I got a question for you. I know, you, again, I mentioned earlier, we got a couple of athletes that I want to pinpoint out. You already mentioned Chicago best quarterback, Mitchell Trubisky. One athlete in particular that you talked about, uh, some of the training you've done and some of the research I've done um, was uh, Victoria Anthony, um, the wrestler, Team USA. Um, so we talked about football, some of the things you did with Mitch as a quarterback. Tell me some of the fascial therapy stuff you've done with somebody like Victoria and wrestling. Yeah, Victoria is really an awesome person and a great athlete. She's um, like 105 pounds. So she's in the ultra lightweight category Um, and quite, you know, quite tiny. So working with her, it was really about 
keeping her flexible and um, keeping her flexibility with power and more prevention. And, um, and for in her sport too, they're always like getting thrown to the mat and that sort of thing. But she's, she's doing the nutrition piece, which is really important for fascia. You have to stay hydrated. You also have to um, make sure you get the appropriate sleep, which she's doing. And um, yeah, for her, it was really looking at head position as well. Because again, that's what people are doing most of the time is looking at their phone. And so being really mindful of that. So giving her exercises, and this is why I tell every single person on the planet that drives, put your head against the headrest. And hey, I try. I try to do that. It's so hard to like. I'm like, I'm like I put my head against the hair, like I'm looking up towards the sunroof or something. <laughs> um, what's happening? It's translation. So you translate back. Put your head right this part against the headrest. And for some people, it can take two weeks to a month to even get there. So they get back, hold for a few seconds, release, and then once they get their head back, is then it's your shoulders. And so it often doesn't look cool <laughs> because, <laughs> but if you look around and you see everybody and they're forward like that, one, it ages you, it makes you look like um, somebody who's over a hundred and, but it's not good for circulation for your brain. So that was one of the tips I'm, I was telling her is like, again, look at your phone here, head against the headrest and chin up. So it's not tilted up. It's just up even. Because what happens over time with people looking down, it also starts affecting digestion because digestion starts in your mouth. But people, their ability to swallow gets decreased. The fascia gets so tight here, it decreases oxygen to the brain, cerebral spinal fluid, but also affects swallowing. So people get acid reflux from just having forward head because it goes wow. all the way down to your gut. And as you're seeing that fascia really affects everything. So going back to Victoria, working really with her flexibility, fascia flexibility and prevention. So she did have, I think a few years ago, a shoulder um, injury. And so we're just really working on that to keeping that healthy. Working with wrestlers like her, do you ever, uh, they, they're always gripping their head, people, other people's head around the back of their neck and their jaw. So my research uh, fascia, you talk about TMJ issues. Do you see a lot of that with uh, wrestlers or even with football players? Yeah, with um, wrestlers and football players, and again, anyone with a forward head, that puts pressure on your jaw, which is such a powerful muscle, but also to it starts changing the fascia here so you can lose space, lose power, which that puts pressure on your carotid artery and also all the cranial nerves. So with that, you can put pressure on the trigeminal nerve for migraines. And that can even just come from head positioning. So with that clenching, with the impact here always, it can change one, the shape of your face. It can change the fascia. But if you're having like fascia can withstand before it breaks, I think 7,800 pounds of pressure before it tears. And so in, in football, they're getting approximately 100 to 200 car accidents um, per game. Wow. And then wrestling, that pressure there is happening too, and the possibility of them hitting each other's head. Right. That can create 
fascial changes, but also concussion, which can affect your jaw. And so one of the techniques that I do is working like inside to affect the jaw from internally, but also from the ear, because all the fascia really on your cranium attaches to your ears. So that can release that, but that does affect, if you're really tight in the jaw, you lose power. Migraines is another thing I got on my list of things. Headaches, a lot, a lot of people, a lot of research says that the fascia training can help with the migraines and headaches. Now a lot of family members that have migraines that are not athletes that wanna know, you know, they need to come see you to help with their help them with their migraines or what, you know? <laughs> well, we would look at so I did a lot of Zoom calls during the beginning of COVID for concussion people I'd never met before, and they were waiting for me to see them all over the country. And um, what I did with them is do a postural assessment. Okay, looking at them from the front, the side, going, okay, what do we have to do to start change? Yeah, as you're like going. <laughs> exactly. Um, and I feel like I got to change my posture real quick. I need to get my neck back. <laughs> exactly. Not up, but back. You're right. <laughs> and you can't do that because your fascia has already changed. And that could be from doing your sport for as long as you have. Okay, so headaches and migraines, the origin of that is is different for each person. So for your family members, one, it could be hormonal. It could be from um, really the head position, the posture position, because the fascia then is restricted. So again, it's restricting flow into the cranium, but also what it does is it restricts the drainage out. So you can increase circulation by doing cardio and that, but what if it has there's no space for it to drain out? That can create headache itself. Wow. So my question for people really is, do you remember the first, you know, what sports did you do? And if they play soccer and, you know, hockey or football and oh, when did you start? Oh, four. Um, then I know, and like all kids were in soccer at four, but you know, they're just kind of standing around. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it kind of gives me an idea. And also too, I look at if people are hypermobile. So if they're hypermobile, they're more prone to falling and falling downstairs as a kid, tripping as a kid, being picked last for team, like on teams. Usually the hypermobile person um, really has to learn to connect their brain to their muscle. And what happens over time with hypermobile people is their joints are super flexible, but their fascia becomes very restricted because the muscle and the fascia take over the role of the ligament of the joint. So they're like, oh, no, I'm not flexible at all. And, and their joint is, but their fascia isn't. So with your family members, I would look at their posture, their assessment, their nutrition. Because you know what resolves headaches easiest is um, water and electrolytes. So hey, Got my alkali water right here. Take a quick exactly. sip. <laughs> and, you know, depending on where you're living. So you're in Chicago. There's more humidity. You've got water around. But if you're at altitude... And out west in California, where we know it's extremely dry, Arizona, your water intake could even possibly be double mm. because you realize that you're sweating. And if you are sweating, which you should be, you're losing electrolytes. So if you're not ingesting the electrolytes and you're taking in water, your water's just, you know, being peed out. Yeah, my majority of my family. 
majority of my family is in the Midwest and the South, you know, so it's super humid all the time. <laughs> right. Right. But you don't realize too, that you're sweating there. So you mm. also have to ingest water. So I would look at for them, um, what's their water intake. It should be, you know, 62 ounces mm. a day, sipping, not guzzling. And the reason for that is, you know, the thunderstorm comes, the earth's dry, just goes off. So if you're sipping every 15 minutes, then your body actually utilizes it. So it's actually like common sense things, but things that we don't think about, so we often overlook. So I would instruct them to hydration, head position, chin up, what's their sleeping like, um, and possibly taking an electrolyte. Okay. Usually for um, like a general population, that resolves it right away. Sure. Then if it's injury related so let's say they've fallen ever since they were or um you know let's say i'm not sure if any of them skied but you know any sport nah you know he, uh, you know you know hey looks a boy hey there's many black folks out here skiing you know what i'm saying <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's more a canadian thing and um from utah but um <laughs> but we're talking about Basketball, not a lot of people realize that basketball, there's a lot of concussions. And you, you mm -hmm. know, another one that's huge, which you wouldn't think about is synchronized swimming. Wow, okay. Yeah, synchronized swimming because- What about, what about water polo? Yep, water polo as well. So all sports. And here's the really cool thing about this that I really want people to understand, like parents, is that 80% of people who have a concussion or being hit to the head um, recover within four weeks. And it's really the 20% that don't. And we're seeing the 20% because usually the 20% are the best of the best in the world. They, they possibly have ADHD. My hypothesis is that most professional athletes that are the top 2% have ADHD because they're either on or they're off, which means when they're on the field, they are on, but if they're off the field, they wanna park as close to that shopping mall as possible because they don't wanna walk very far. But they're, they're on or off. And which that means is their brain's already biochemically altered if they have ADHD, which means they create strategies for learning, strategy for, for performance. And if they get hit to the head, they lose access to those strategies, which creates frustration, anxiety, which, ADHD people already have a high level of anxiety, could be obsessive compulsive, could also be very, you know, like anger. It could, all these things are underlying. And um, when I was at Ohio at a concussion symposium, I was talking to one of the, the Navy doctors out from San Diego and he's like, oh, he goes, Simone, did you know that um, all the Navy SEALs have ADHD? And I'm like, no, I didn't. And he goes, yeah, they don't really recover well from blast trauma. And it's because their brain is already on a heightened alert. So ADHD people are usually in a heightened alert. So there's anxiety, frustration, more prone to suicidal thoughts. And again, when they have more compression and injuries to the head, that just, all those increase. So um, those are the 20% that I usually see. The 80% I, I don't see very often, but parents need to know that their kids need to be on these teams. They need to socialize. They need, it creates lasting relationship. It's good for your brain. And right. um, the reward is huge. 
Right. So I was going to actually segue into the concussion piece of your training because I know you do a lot of the concussion stuff. Um, so I appreciate you talking about a lot of fascia therapy. Uh, you know, I, the, the concussion part is really big, big topic, you know, today in today's uh, with sports parents. I'm a parent. I have a lot of friends that ask me, you know, are you going to allow your, your child to play sports because of the concussion piece? You mentioned a few things. Um, so I just want to just talk about some of the concussion stuff that uh, you do. You have this seven-step concussion protocol that you have out right now. Everybody can go find it on uh, Simone's uh, social media page, at Simone48. She has a great workshop that you can sign up for. You know, when you hear the word concussion, because earlier you, you gave us a definition of fascia, you know, People don't know what concussion is, you know, kind of give us a quick breakdown on like, what is a concussion? Like, what is it and what happens when you get one? Okay, so when there's really acceleration or deceleration in your brain, your brain actually sloshes around, it hits the cranium, and that can cause, so contusions, which causes um, inflammation. And so that inflammation can create scar tissue in the brain but also in the fascia. And um, so we wanna keep that inflammation down, but it's important for repair. So that's why we don't wanna um, keep going, you know, and doing sports and keeping more inflammation going there. But you don't have to become unconscious to have a concussion. That needs to be clarified because people are like, oh, I didn't, I didn't pass out. You don't have to, and you actually don't even have to hit your brain. So you don't have to hit your head on anything. It can just be the movement of your neck, which whips you back and forth to cause that concussion. So again, you can get it on a ride at, can I say Disneyland, but on a ride any at the fair, um, it can happen there too. You can be driving and hit your brakes real hard and kind of have a little whiplash or semi-whiplash or somebody gonna dart out in front of you, you can get a concussion yep. just by your head moving back and forth like that too? You can. So again, it doesn't just happen in sports, but you know, I've had people come and the garage door comes down and these inflamed in all sorts of different ways. But yeah, so it's the contra coup of, you know, going forward, hitting the front of your skull, coming back and hitting the back. So you've got like two areas that you can have contusions or bruising in the brain. And so depending on the impact in the force, there could be a brain bleed and that's when it gets more serious. And two, if symptoms change at all, so let's say the person's just tired or they have a headache right away and then that goes away and then the headache comes back, that's when you really need to take them back to emergency. But um, usually rest is the best. No social media, no phones, and that's really tough because that creates anxiety for people. But that visual stimulus and the sound can be really irritating for the brain. And so the brain just needs to rest. And again, for 80%, that rest is all they need. And so for some people who are treating the 80%, they're like, well, my treatment works and, and they got better. Well, they would get better anyway. But what they did was again increase the potential for prevention with their their treatment. Before we get before we deep dive too much uh, into the concussions with children and NFL players, CTE, blah blah blah. I just want you to kind of talk about your your seven step concussion protocol workshop that uh, that trains people like myself, strength coaches, physical therapists, athletic trainers. 
uh, and all other practitioners just about, you know, uh, fascia, concussions, and how to alleviate symptoms, things of that nature? Yeah, actually, that was, I kind of like the fascia work that I've been doing and working with athletes transitioned into creating this protocol. And I have actually had six diagnosed concussions myself. So wow. I, oh, I was struggling and wow. because I have ADHD. And so I was that 20% that, you know, and I really didn't realize that when I was in Arizona in 2000, I, I was suffering from really severe migraines and I didn't really realize that I had post concussion syndrome and it affected my decision-making affected so many things. And, and then I had concussion after concussion after concussion. So I actually lost my hearing completely. I was, um, and so now I'm actually hearing impaired. I don't have surround sound, but that was from a head injury and I had memory loss. I'd slur my words. I'd say things backwards. Um, so I was going through a lot of this stuff myself and there was really no support. And so I kind of piecemeal things. So I went to do EMDR, which is for post-traumatic stress disorder, but it works for concussion and brain therapy too. I did that. And then I just started kind of working on myself <laughs> because I'm like, I need my brain back. And it, I was imploding, totally imploding. And, um, what would happen is I go to work. I love my work. I would feel great doing my job, but then I go home and collapse. And then I would self-medicate as most ADHD people do. And my form of self-medicating was binge watching science fiction shows for about four to five hours before I could go to sleep. So with ADHD people, you have to actually stimulate their brain so they can relax. And so other people do drugs. Other people do, um, you know, um, extreme behaviors so that they can actually relax. It's the opposite of what people think. And so I wasn't sleeping very well either. And I have pain, I had nerve damage, blah, 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 blah. So it went on and on. And I was just like, I need um, to deal with this. And there wasn't anybody that was working with it. What they would do is just treat you for the regular musculoskeletal injury, which, you know, ice heat stim does not work for concussion and doing increased cardio does not heal the brain. It increases inflammation. So there's different theories on that. And so it inspired me to create this protocol. And I would start practicing on my concussion people, my athletes, and I was getting results. So I'm like, hmm, there's something to creating space in the brain that helps the brain heal, helps the pituitary. So my whole thing was focusing on the pituitary gland, which is the master gland. It controls all your hormones. So it controls digestion, mood, um, you know, the whole reproduction, your everything and the vagus nerve as well, and releasing pressure there. So I created these techniques that um, do that. So teaching a strength coach all the way to somebody who's a physical therapist, there, it's, a, it's a unique way of actually looking at the fascial attachments in the brain. Let me take a time out to tell you about my friends over at Soul Lounge, Houston's premier boutique for the latest fashions. Chinatown Market? Check. BBC? You know they got all that. You know Adidas? Man, they got all of that stuff too. The swag, the 
footwear, Yeezys, and they got everything. No Referees Podcast and Soul Lounge is partnered up to bring you a special offer for listening to this episode. Go online to soullounghtx.com and enter promo code NORULES to get 20% off your entire purchase. That's no rules. All one word, all caps. Soul Lounge. Live what you love. How does the concussion piece and your healing go along with the brain nutrition piece? Because, you know, you talk about that a lot, too, in your, in, your, in your talks and your research. Yeah, that, again, kind of happened organically. So I was like, I needed, I'm, I'm doing case study after case study to, to support um, the clinical findings that I've been having. And so that my students can do that as well. So I reached out to Charles. Charles Polkin worked or used um, Dr. Eric Braverman's um, brain health test. And he used it for really how to train people depending on whether they were dopamine dominant or acetylcholine or serotonin. But he created this whole thing. And so I'm like, hmm, I need a test. For, to see where people's brains are when they start the treatment and every four weeks and see if they're improving. So I, um, I reached out to Dr. Eric Braverman, did some actually podcasts with him because he wanted to do that, which is super cool. Um, brilliant guy, brilliant guy. And so it, he created it as a, a personality test. So it's kind of hidden in there. So it shows deficiencies. So if you're deficient in a certain um, neurotransmitter, then what I was doing is one, doing case studies of people who just had the treatment, people who had the treatment and the nutrition, and then really people who during COVID, I could just really reach via the nutrition part. And just the um, doing via Zoom, those people um, improved 20 to 30% of their symptoms just by adding the neurotransmitter that they were lacking. So what I found with concussion is less is better. So less training, less manual therapy, less pressure, and less too many stimulations, um, even if they're a neurotransmitter or nutrition, can affect the brain. So with this 20%, less is better. So I would give them one supplement, one neurotransmitter, let's say taurine or inositol, or whatever they were lacking, because each brain's different, then they would heal. So then I did the case studies, the people who did both, and the results were through the roof. And then I did the case study of just the treatment alone. And it's interesting, the results were almost identical with the nutrition. So I was like, hmm. So that, those people, they didn't do the testing in the beginning, but all they needed was the space. So if you just need space in your cranium and your pituitary can start functioning and your neurotransmitters can replenish replenish themselves by just eating properly, those people did just as well. So I was like, okay. So now every person that I work with, I get them to do the Braverman test. I, I send the results to some colleagues and doctors that I'm working with in, in um, Ohio and Florida. They send it back to me and they go, okay, this is what that person needs. And they've been doing this um, for free. 
because these people like just helping me out with my case study, but all these people's brains. And it's been um, remarkable, um, the changes in people's quality of life. And over a six month period to a year period now, these people have their brain back. And it's like they say to me, like, so life's switch went on. And, you know, in the beginning, they're like so frustrated and they're like, okay, I need that supplement right now because I want my brain back. And then they're like, okay, when's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? And for some people, like even with um, Victoria, um, I had her do the test and she was lacking um, inositol. And I'm sharing that because inositol is one that um, is, is found in food, but it helps people sleep. And when you have higher anxiety, you don't sleep. And she didn't have a concussion, but she was missing that component in her diet. So she took one pill and she was good. And so with that one, it's instant. With some of the other neurotransmitters, not. So got into this whole um, nutrition of the brain and specifically for concussion. And the guys that I send the, the numbers to, they're like, don't you have anyone who has normal numbers? And I'm like, <laughs> because they're struggling and um, that's really who I see. So that's how that came to be. And um, the, it's, it's just really been, I want to get it out there to as many people like yourself and to um, even parents, because there's, you know, there's a mini program for them that they can do because strength coaches, athletic trainers, you guys see those people almost every day. Right. Right. And you're the front line. You're the one to do one of those protocols in five minutes, just right after a match, right after a game. And then that prevents any concussive symptoms. And then if somebody is concussed, you're right there. And you can pretty much do the protocol as soon as a brain bleed is ruled out and they've been assessed by the athletic trainer or medical professional saying that they're cleared and you can start it right away. And it's been, the results have been so amazing. So we need to have Simone Fortier, anybody listening to this podcast who's involved with any NFL, NBA, uh, Olympic committee, anybody, uh, any sports, we need to make sure y'all contact Simone Fortier, Simone at SimoneFortier.com, email her. She, she needs to be a part of your program. Let me ask you a question just about uh, CTE and what we hear about concussions with NFL players or football players. Now, growing up, uh, you know, I, I thought a lot of the older football players will say, you know, they didn't have the concussion protocols back then. They would just get like, you know, ding their head. They see dizzy for a little bit. They go back in because they need to play. You know, they got to support their families, et cetera, et cetera. How has the concussion protocols changed from then to now? So what changed really um, with teams is the return to play. So is it safe for the athlete to go back? So now the athletic trainer and the strength coach really, you know, does an assessment, the SCAT-5 usually, to determine whether that athlete goes back. And there's a lot of you know, kind of controversy on there because the baseline testing, does the athlete honest or are they fudging it a little bit so they don't look so bad if they get a concussion? And that's beside the point. Really, um, you can look at the athlete, you can get the MRI, you can do brain balance testing and those you cannot cheat on. And um, I, I teach those in, in my class because you do eyes open, eyes closed. Really eyes closed is really difficult to cheat on. 
And if they're really off balance with their eyes closed, then you know, okay, their brain isn't optimal. It doesn't mean, necessarily mean they have a concussion, there's something going on there. So okay, maybe just a little more rest. So now athletes are kind of a bit fearful saying that they have a concussion or was it just the trauma or are they in shock? So there's that whole thing that needs to be um, addressed, but they're looking at it now, whereas they didn't look at it before. They didn't realize the impact. So going back 20, 30 years and saying, okay, we want to sue you now, it's hard because the information wasn't available. Mm -hmm. so would an athlete still go out and play in the NFL knowing that they could possibly have a concussion? And that's an individual choice, but now there's treatment. Now there's prevention. Now there's, okay, you need to rest instead of going back in. And they've done a really great job with it with um, Sidney Crosby. Mm -hmm. And he's been a really good example of how to pace that and how long it can take and taking maybe sometimes an indefinite leave. Like how important is your brain? It's really important, especially when you turn 50 or 60, you want to remember your life and your family. And you see, and you see a lot of NFL players specifically retiring early because of the head trauma, the concussion trauma as well. Well, also too, what's happening there, again, the 20% that aren't getting better. So they've had accumulation, 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 but maybe no treatment or maybe not the right treatment. So with concussion, there's a hierarchy. So you can see the best of the best in the world. But if you don't take the body out of fight or flight, the brain out of fight or flight, they won't heal. So again, that's my approach is how do you do that first? If you don't, in a, if you're running from the bear, you're not going to heal. And then if you keep running from the bear for a long time, because you're in fight or flight, you end up lying down and playing dead, which right. means you freeze. So the brain goes into freeze. So you're just, everything is, um, you have a lot of distrust because you're still in protection mode. So you don't know who to, who, who to really trust. So I see that with this people these people that we have to actually really take them out of that fear and fight or flight, which also too COVID has created that for a lot of people and they, they're the unknown. And so again, that's affecting their brain. It's affecting health. So going into, into that, that's really the first step with the concussion treatment protocol, but with the teams, now they're being assessed. Now they're all okay. An athlete now has more education. They know, they know what's going on, that it's, it's more than just, okay, my, I have this ringing or I saw stars, need to really assess. So they're doing that better now, which is awesome. And um, it's the awareness and education. So that's happening. The, the treatment is happening with the CTE, which is kind of unfortunate, um, you know, looking at that because we really don't have enough information yet. So on that study, they were looking at, I think I, the numbers will be off, but I'm just going to use approximately, um, I think it was 110 athletes who had donated their brains. Mm -hmm. And um, the media got a hold of that and they're like, oh my gosh, you know, 100 athletes and 109 had CTE. Right. So one didn't. But that's not what we need to focus on because we don't know whether CTE causes any of those symptoms. Right. And people read the whole study, only I think it was 2% showed symptoms during their life, which means if we did that autopsy on everyone, let's say we had a sample size of the general population, 
um, because really every single person has fallen. And the number one cause of concussion is falling in children and, and seniors. So those are the most concussed people that are seen in the hospital. It, it's not athletes. Actually, it's very small. So we're looking at the general population who may not have gone into a sport but have had several concussions just from falling down the stairs or even abuse, which is another thing that we have to look at. Um, you know, abuse, choking in the home or, you know, just choking in, in, in the school ground, that sort of thing um, can create trauma in the brain. So if we look at those people's brains, compare them with the athlete's brain who has been hit several times, do they have CTE? We don't know that because that study has not been done. And that would give us clarification because what is really causing the symptoms, and that goes back to my hypothesis, which is the brain's already chemically altered with ADHD or some other trauma. So those people are the ones, those symptoms get bigger. Right. So um, the studies are excellent. But again, when they're being reported, they need to show the entire study, not just the sensationalized, wow, right. 109 had it. Right, right, right. because, because you, you have no idea what happened in the, with these, these gentlemen that don't have their brain, their brain of science, what, they, what their life was like growing up, you know, when they started playing football, blah, blah, blah. You don't, you don't really know. So I can, I can see that too. Like, yeah, you see the number, you know, you're like, dang, everybody got CTE. But, you know, you have, like, if they never showed no symptoms, like you said, you would never even know it. I got a question for you real quick before I get you out of here, Miss 48. You know, as a parent, you know, a lot of parents out here in the world are, you know, you mentioned distrust, fear, um, as far as, their kids playing sports because of they don't want them, the kids to have concussions. Now you've mentioned to me, um, when we spoke, uh, that uh, you mentioned earlier that a lot of kids, you know, fall, you know, they, 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 they're clumsy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, these are the, 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 the top, top reasons kids get concussions. What would you say to parents that out there that don't really know much about concussions that just need to be more educated? What kind of information would you just give them, uh, from your perspective? Um, well, there's so many associations. There's um, like Parachute Canada is an association. Um, the World Rugby Association has so much information on concussion, how to see it as a parent, what to do as a parent. But I, I think it's kind of like um, trying to prevent something that's going to happen anyway. So whether it's in sports, which again, the the, the positive aspects of being in sports can be more advantageous to the development of a, of a human being than looking at the possibility of getting a concussion. So again, what people are doing is prevention. Um, how, how can we keep the brain healthy? Nutrition, hydration, um, all those sorts of things are really more impactful to keeping your child's brain safe than um, preventing them from doing a sport. So I've heard some parents go, okay, I'm going to get my child to play golf and, you know, look at, at different sports. But again, it, it's going into really that socialization and friendship and 
and just the community of learning. And I, I know I still have all like my friends from the teams that I belonged with and still now you have something in common, you're bonded. You go through a lot of things, you know, punching somebody, you know, like all those sorts of things you do together. Being, and, a, being an animal. <laughs> being an animal. <laughs> And you know, the really cool thing is that, you know, as you get older and you meet people and you have your professional life and, and you know, those friends really know you, they know what you've gone through. They know your family. They know that your hardships, they've known that you just didn't pop out and be successful over here. And I think, I think that's really valuable. And, um, but I think getting information, but sometimes for some people, information makes them more afraid. So then reaching out and, and talking to different parents or groups, or again, like Parachute Canada or the World Rugby Association. And, I, and there's so many concussion groups, but I, I, really, I really think being involved in sports is, is outweighs the fact that they might get a concussion. And I've seriously, I've had six diagnosed ones. I've been falling forever. And um, my brain now seriously is better than it was when I was actually in university. Like, so I wish now I had had all the information that I have because uh, my journey would have been better, but my brain, my memories improved everything. And so we can rebuild and the, brain when kids are younger is so neuroplastic that um, you can regrow um, brain cells, which they didn't know before. And I always knew that because it's common sense. Why wouldn't a brain cell regenerate if, you know, other cells regrow? So um, yeah, and they found that out because we have the imaging to do that. So you can create new neural networks, which again, can be done through brain exercises. I've, um, just to kind of solidify this before we go off, because I can talk forever. Um, <laughs> I, thought, I thought I could talk forever. Hey, I know, boy. I can talk forever. You, you, beat, you, you, you beat me to it. <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> That's the ADHD and concussion. So with the protocol, I've been working with Parkinson's people. And that just, again, happened organically. And my one guy... He was treated in emergency three times, had a CAT scan. They said, one, he didn't have a concussion. Two, um, he was good to go. And his daughter actually referred him to me. She was a hockey player. And she's like, something's wrong with my dad. And he came to my office and I'm like, oh my gosh, this, to myself, I didn't say out loud, this guy has a brain injury. This is, and concussion is a brain injury, but this is like a moderate to severe brain injury. And, um, so I referred him to a doctor that I collaborate with because I just say, this is what he needs. This doctor has no ego and he's working for the patient. He got him all, he got him into the neurologist, got him the MRI, and it showed he had an aggressive type of Parkinson's that um, he had, his temporal lobe and his frontal lobe were diminished. And he had Parkinson's in um, his midbrain, as I recall. And so the neurologist that he saw said, basically, here's your cane and it's gonna go downhill from here. And so I started working with him with the protocol and the brain exercises, and he went from there to no more slurring, no more coughing, and he now has more strength, and he's been riding his bike. Awesome so, story right there. Yes, and that is a 55-year-old a male. 
So a child who gets a concussion, the, the possibilities for them to really recover is really great. Before I get you out of here on this, the final time, coming down the pipeline on your plate, you got some things going on that you'll be headed to, to Asia. You know, talk about some of the things that you, you're going to be taking your talents over there to Asia, so to speak. Yeah, Asia and Australia, actually. So the concussion treatment protocols is far reaching. So I'm getting um, people interested over in Beijing and the Philippines who are interested in taking um, the concussion treatment protocol and Australia as well. So I'm like that. I looking forward to um, pursuing more of that in 2021 and um, kind of like maybe doing a world um, circuit because there's a lot of athletes over there. And again, my passion is to get this technique into as many people's hands as possible because then it's exponential about how many people they can help. And because um, everyone wants their brain health when they're 100 <laughs> and when they're 20. And um, this really helps that for prevention and improvement and to know that there's hope for people that ha have had concussion or trauma that um, they can help. So yeah, so I'm looking forward to, um, to making those connections and my assistant has worked over there. And um, so she's looking at um, getting that organized with her, her groups there. So, and I know you have a connection too. Yeah, yeah. You know, I spent, I spent four years of my life uh, as a strength and conditioning coach over in Asia, three years in China, one year in Korea. So, uh, you know, I can help you brush up on your Mandarin a little bit. You know, I don't know, I don't know any uh, Fina, <laughs> Filipino dialect, but you know, Australian, you know, you, you can put a little strip on the Barbie or something like that while you're down there. <laughs> well, Simone, <Yeah. laughs> Simone, before before I let you go, can you give the No Referees podcast a quick shout out uh, for all your, your fans, friends, and followers, please? Yes, actually, I've watched your program now. I've watched several of your, your programs, No Referee, on YouTube, and the information is really helpful. I was impressed with... Um, the topics that you had all the way from like the boxing world to cancer and to, you know, the comedian Damon Allen and just, um, you know, giving people information that they might not have access to. And I'm very grateful and thank you for your program and uh, the opportunity to be on your show. Cause I think you are going to reach a lot of people. Well, thank you. Thank you, Ms. Fortier. You know, just starting out with trying to grow, trying to, you know, touch every gambit of sport, you know, from, you know, not just basketball, not just football, not just, you know, Major League Baseball or even hockey, you know, trying to touch every gambit from myself being a strength coach behind the scenes. You know, I'm interested in people like yourself that help athletes get better, that don't get that much shine that you that should. So I just want to take some time out today to make sure that you got the recognition and your program got the recognition condition because it is very important and you have touched so many great athletes around the world and so many just people too as well oh well thank you i appreciate it so everyone please before y'all log off make sure you go follow simone everywhere on social media ask some more simone fortier buy her books get her books from amazon you know the how the brain burps gaining control over pain Find her on her website, Simone48.com. She can help you get better in every asset of your life. Uh, she's internationally recognized. She helps people from Spain to Maine. 
<laughs> so that is our that that is our friend friend of the show, Simone Forty Eight. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to another episode of the No Referees Podcast. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening to this show and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And don't forget to follow us on social media at No Referees Pod. Till the next episode, we out.